0: Semiconductors, the brains of all modern electronics, from cars and phones to new technology like the Internet of Things and strategic 5G networks, have rarely seen such demand. Behind the scenes, treasury and finance teams provide these strategic companies with complex supply chains with the financial solutions they need to thrive. I'm Sarah Rundell from Treasury Today, and in our latest editorial podcast, I'm joined by Group Treasurer and Head of Investor Relations, Alexander Fulton, at Europe's largest semiconductor chip maker, Infineon. Alexander, welcome. Could you begin by outlining your broad Treasury strategy, priorities, and hedging processes in today's challenging environment?
1: Yes, happy to do so, um, Sarah, and thanks for the opportunity here to have this conversation. Um, clearly, we are going through interesting and quite volatile times. And I think the fundamental pillars of of strategy have not changed. I mean, uh, it's about safeguarding uh, the corporation's liquidity. It's about ensuring access to a broad array of funding sources, mostly diversified funding sources and managing uh, financial risks appropriately. Uh, So as we're going about this, I mean, we are obviously living in a low to no interest rate environment or rather negative interest rate environment, at least in the Eurozone, um, which has, let's say, uh, pros and cons to it. Of course, it's challenging to manage the liquidity. we, we opted, as Infineon, we opted for giving um, cash preservation the priority, which means we do incur negative uh, interest yields or rates these days. On the flip side, it's a relatively benign environment uh, for, for funding costs. And as we have been going through the largest and most transformative transaction in our corporate history, namely the acquisition of a US-based peer of ours, uh, Cyprus Semiconductor, which we acquired for 9 billion euros last year, that is actually the more important part of the equation that we have access to, relatively speaking, affordable funding. So priorities for us is to navigate through this environment of, let's say, volatile times of underlying businesses that have seen quite... A bit of gyrations, disruptions last year triggered by COVID, a rapid V-shaped uh, recovery in most of our markets last and this year, and how we go about it. Looking into the future, um, the next, let's say, thing to watch from our point of view is the price levels. So we look at, at inflation risks. Um, we are not yet actively hatching them, but we are certainly watchful um, In terms of interest rates, uh, we have hedged some of them looking at our refinancing agenda. So we locked in, but only a part of uh, the interest rate. So we actually choose to uh, hedge 50% or less of the expected exposure with which we actually fared well, given that uh, market rates thus far took another drop from last year's highs. Uh, Commodity side... Is something that Infineon generally does not hedge given that the base metals that we need, such as copper, aluminum, etc., tend to fluctuate with the overall in- economy. In other words, uh, when we see rising input prices, that's usually um, a point in time where we also, let's say, have good momentum on the business side and can adjust our output prices accordingly.
0: You mentioned Infineon's 9 billion purchase of U.S. chipmaker Cypress Semiconductor in 2019. Could you talk a little more about how you structured the financing here and the key considerations in that process?
1: Our company, let's say, is structurally cash positive. That means that funding needs are really created by by transformative events such as a large-scale Acquisition um, Cyprus very perfectly fits this bill and is a good case in point nine billion uh, Was at the time we signed the deal actually Corresponded to about half of our own market capitalization So that put things into perspective and you see from this that we are really talking about something big and transformative here Our key pillar in terms of thinking about financing structure is the investment grade. Um, So we actually spend a fair amount of time and care involving also our rating agency up front in discussing various financing scenarios and actually running a couple of these cases by them in order to be very certain what we needed to do in terms of equity debt mix to come up or to come out as an investment grade company going into the transaction Infineon had um, had a capital markets rating of triple B flat we have at the point of closing of the transaction been downgraded by S&P to triple B minus which is also our current rating in other words we have managed to stay within the investment grade we have achieved that by a mix of debt equity funding of about one third two thirds We put in the equity first, uh, three different transactions, uh, two straight capital raises or share placements, one issuance of a hybrid bond, which in our case, as we have structured it, is accounted for as equity and also receives equity credit from the rating agency. The rest, the two thirds came from uh, debt financing. Uh, We tapped the European bond market First and uh, very recently, have issued or printed a U.S. private placement, so filling filling uh, with capital markets the debt portion that originally got funded from our uh, commercial and investment banks. Meanwhile, uh, the the rating agency has actually uh, put us back on on a positive outlook, so there are there is the perspective of returning to the triple B flat scenario that we uh, that we started with Um, so when I say two-thirds one-third it means that of the nine uh, billion roughly six billion coming from the from the debt side and that's where the the interest rate environment uh, certainly did have a lot of let's say impact uh, in terms of bringing funding costs down Uh, we have funded ourselves all the way up to 2033, so uh, for 12 years now, and certainly the 10 or 20 basis points different here is something that is is felt throughout uh, such a long period of time.
0: Could you talk a little more about why preserving your credit rating was such a priority? Was this the most ambitious deal your team has ever done?
1: That is a f- absolutely fair statement, uh Sarah. I mean the company here is twenty years old. Uh, we got uh, We got carved out an iPO from uh, from Siemens uh, back in uh, two thousand went public under the name of Infineon. and since then uh, this has been the largest uh, transaction actually by far. The second largest was three times smaller when we when we did it. So in that context, the investment grade rating really was pivotal for us. Um, not even in the first instance to guarantee um, to guarantee uh, affordable funding costs, but uh, in the first place to have access to the funding uh, to to get uh, the sheer volume necessary to actually fund this this acquisition. Um, so for us, it was. Uh, quite visible that that in sub-investment grade you run the risks of of markets being either temporarily or totally closed and unavailable. Um, One case in point is the bond-buying program of the European Central Bank which has helped us and other companies funding or guaranteeing a stable funding mechanism throughout uh, the period of the pandemic because the Uh, The buying mechanism and you have the equivalent also from the Federal Reserve in the US is open for investment-grade rated companies and as such the ECB certainly uh, played an important role in building our order book at the time of last June when we when we issued uh, the first uh, Euro bond under our newly established EMTN program. We raised 2.9 billion in doing so, the order book was almost five times oversubscribed at that point in time, uh, and a good part of the of the demand certainly came from investor universe that was um, keen on having investment grade rated paper, and especially the lower part of the investment grade spectrum in the in the low interest rate environment that we discussed initially, was offering a good balance of, of, of yield and security. So from our point of view, that's that drove the decision. or That's why uh, investment grade is such a key aspect for us. Uh, having access to funding sources in the first place and in second priority, uh, bringing down the cost of the interest cost.
0: Yes. <laughs> Could you talk about how your banking relationships supported this process and what you look for in your banking relationships?
1: A commercial and investment banks or global banks at at large are certainly uh, key business partners of, of Um In our case, probably a special point of departure was that we did not have an established uh, set of core banks going into the transaction Uh, different from many other companies from other corporations we did not have uh, for instance what's known as an RCF or revolving credit facility which you typically have in place so you ex-ante establish a set of core banks Um, we certainly did have our network of bank relationships but nothing nothing firmed up so when the transaction came along there was as you can imagine a small set of banks involved on the M&A side of the deal we made it very clear that we expect uh, them to also provide committed funding so in return for a lucrative MA advisory mandate uh, they had to they had to chip in and and let's say uh, put their money where their mouth was and uh, guarantee or underwrite the initial the initial transaction we then within three weeks after signing syndicated the financing out to what in the end became a consortium of 20 global institutions. Uh, so we basically established now a set of core bank relationships or as yeah, uh, a network of, of, of key banks by virtue of this acquisition Financing Uh, we were clear and transparent what we were looking for from the from the outset uh, committed funding across both a a bridge facility. So that was a Comparatively short-term financing as well as a set of so-called term loans, which stretched the way all the way up to 2024 in their maturity in return, um, our promise to those banks signing up for the financing was that we would allocate the, the, uh, the takeout financings among them in a competitive way. Uh, that is also something that is bespoke, I would comment, because typically what you have is that the initial underwriter take the largest piece of the cake and everything else is more or less pre-allocated according to uh, ticket sizes in this in the syndication. Uh, We did this a little bit differently, Um, so we have most everyone uh, there in the consortium on an equal footing. In other words, whenever a project comes up, be it equity, equity equity-linked, debt, Euro, US, uh, what have you, our team uh, receives pitches from those banks that we deem most relevant for the specific financing projects in question and then we actually do a little rfp project uh, each and every time uh, a refinancing um, comes up that is on the one hand side a bit more laborious for both sides banks and ourselves uh, or by the same token we assure this way that we get best service from a motivated highly motivated set of uh, banks so that's how we created or built the bank relationship group via this call it relationship defining moment of of the large acquisition and given that we are uh, not entirely through now with the refinancing the bulk uh, of it has been done but still there is some uh, (laughs) there is some more financial wood to chop you can say uh, this is also the way we go forward uh, looking to the future way dealing with banks
0: that's very interesting (laughs) How do your larger banking partners feel about being put on this competitive footing with smaller
1: banks? I would say uh, there are certainly different views. Um, if you ask different people about our uh, approach, we think it's fair in the sense that, let's say the 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 the, uh, the ultimate commitment is is the same. Uh, so whilst there have been, An initial underwriting and a certain initial risk that the the M&A advisors uh, took, that has been, let's say, rewarded also with the M&A advisory mandate. Um, Following that, following the syndication, um, most banks are on an equal footing, and those that are, in terms of their commitment, And uh, yeah, that that, uh, creates, let's say, a level playing field for everyone uh, to to compete. And actually, if there was a kind of quarrel or complaint raised, my response would be that the banks typically think highly of themselves and regard themselves as highly competitive. So that's actually the fair chance of uh, proving their worth. And um, so far... I have, let's say, the impression that everything was held in a, in a very competitive spirit, but that's the way it should be.
0: I'd like to talk now about the global chip market. Infineon has its own in-house manufacturing, but also has to navigate tight supply from contract manufacturers like Taiwan's semiconductor manufacturing company under its outsourced model. How does Treasury support the company as it navigates the current supply-demand dynamics in the chip industry?
1: So there is right now the backdrop of both a strong cyclical recovery as well as a structural upturn where the industry thinks it will be a multi-year topic. Now for Treasury obviously uh, there, this brings with it several challenges. On the one hand side semiconductor manufacturing is, is a quite capital intense um, business. Yes, you can outsource to manufacturing partners, the so-called subcontractors and foundry partners, but there are limits to that. And the current chip shortage is in large measure due to the fact that there is not enough foundry capacity available on the market. So for someone like Infineon, who has a comparatively high share of in-house manufacturing, this is, um, let's say, a situation where we fare relatively well however uh, we have to find the financial means of supporting our growth track Uh, i would like here to come back to our situation as an investment grade rated company i previously spoke about keeping open avenues to financial markets in order to have access uh, to funding at uh, what we also do is we run a fairly high strategic liquidity position so, as Treasury, we certainly, uh, in our case, do not optimize in the sense of, of uh, bringing cash down to bare operating levels. We want to have the financial flexibility and freedom, especially throughout cycles and especially in down phases, to be able to proactively invest because that is um, almost a law like certainty that semiconductor. Uh, cycles do return to to upswings, and when they do, you want to be part of it and have have available capacity.
0: What is Treasury's role in working with Infineon's customers to ensure a smooth supply chain?
1: I spoke about the role of foundries and subcons. Uh, currently, what we what we clearly see is that the scarce capacity is allocated uh, among customers. We being one of them, uh, in a way that also. Demands are created for things like down payments or even co-investments. So there is an interest on the foundry side to share the risk with customers. And actually, we can mirror that um, also as we are still quite early in an overall long manufacturing or supply chain. We can mirror that to our customers. Uh, Clearly, we likewise have the interest that orders coming our way from various end markets, be that automotive, industrial, consumer, communication, etc., have a high degree of reliability. So to the extent, that reliability can be underpinned by co-investments, down payments. We have so-called capacity reservation agreements, which we offer to customers. So if a customer wants to insure against the risk of lack of capacity there is the opportunity to also make um, these capacity reservations and put some money up front for us to have kind of burden sharing here for the for the investment but that goes both ways so it um, is on the supply side as well as on the demand side applicable these days and treasury is kind of in the middle of it brokering brokering the deals, uh, checking at, f- looking at financial risks, um, of course, safeguarding the company's liquidity position, making sure that the rating is kept, which is not an end of it in itself, but rather a means to ensuring broad access to funding. So, yeah, we certainly participate and, and uh, do our share to, mm, let's say, help over time de-bottleneck a scarce situation.
0: How have your customers reacted to committing ahead rather than relying on just-in-time delivery strategies based on their own fluctuations in demand?
1: I would say there is a general realisation of what the value of a resilient supply chain is. Um, That is certainly one lesson the COVID year 2020 has taught us all, that delivery certainty um, has a high value. Um, We we always say the, the most expensive chip is the one that you cannot produce and you certainly don't want to have line downs for instance for 40 to 50,000 k cars if a uh, four or five euro or dollar component is missing Um, so in that situation clearly uh, there is a common perception that we uh, collectively have to firm up the certainty of supply uh, so Clearly, I mean, these discussions are not always uh, easy, but there is an understanding that that the capital-intense nature, especially of our business and the cycle times that you have. And cycle times here you have to consider on three levels. The one is how much time does it actually take to manufacture an individual chip, an individual component. Uh, That can be uh, 12, 14 or 16 weeks, Uh, The next level would be how much time does it take to bring on additional capacity if you have clean room space available. So if you only have to procure machinery, hook it up and install a new production line, that could be with current lead times anywhere between 6 and 12 months. And how long it actually takes to bring entirely new capacity on stream if you have to build a fab. So if you have to build a clean room, which is a multi-year Endeavour. So, in that sense, there is uh, a certain understanding that burden sharing needs to be done here.
0: Alexander, thank you so much for such a fascinating insight. You've been listening to an editorial podcast with Alexander Fulton from Infineon and me, Sarah Rundell. Don't forget to subscribe to the Treasury Today podcast channel to get further episodes in this series. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts.